This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Is this the kind of start of the run of press for you, or have you kind of been gearing up for it already and done a few interviews and stuff? You know, this is, uh, I would say this is the week of like a lot of audio interview stuff. I've done a few uh, written things up to this point, but um, I feel like I have a bunch of like podcasts and, or a few podcasts and then a few kind of just like, like release related conversational interview type things as well that i guess will factor into written yeah. written things so yeah it's cool man i i uh i'm always honored when people take an interest in the music and want to chat about it so i i i enjoy it and also i just finished a day of online teaching so i'm uh it's nice to get to talk about music <laughs> <laughs> were you so are you the teacher i am yeah yeah so i've been working on a phd in human geography for a long time, a uh, number of years. Um, the past few years, I've been kind of splitting time between writing my dissertation and touring and recording and stuff. So I'm working towards finishing it, hopefully like middle of this year. That's the plan. Uh, yeah, I love teaching students and having conversations around like issues in human geography, particularly like migration and borders and inequality. Um, I taught a class last semester on uh on geographies of global inequality and this semester I'm teaching one on just like kind of general world geography pretty pretty broad survey class but yeah did you kind of do some interviews over here for that over in the UK when you were working on your PhD um I think I did yeah I mean so I've kind of part of how these two worlds have intersected is that my my research was in Europe and uh on on kind of like migration and border issues in the European Union, particularly around uh, how humanitarian 
organizations work with asylum seekers and their decision to like asylum seekers who are navigating their decision whether to to stay in Europe or to uh to return home and the European governments have a lot of policies to to send people back and um yeah so like the humanitarian organizations that are kind of in the the middle space between like trying to care for migrants but also like getting their money from states who have a much more security focused uh approach to the whole thing and particularly kind of following the 2015-2016 migration quote-unquote crisis or influx of when, when a lot of people came in from from Syria and elsewhere that that was like a pretty acute issue and has continued to be in the year since so I, I, I've done a lot of different interviews and kind of qualitative research with different humanitarian migration organizations yeah in, in the UK and several other countries in Europe around kind of that question of of how what, what does humanitarianism look like in that in that climate and how do you how do you try to work care for migrants in a increasingly kind of security focused environment but um but that's that's meant several trips over to the European Union and to the United to the UK over the past uh, few years and I've I've been able to kind of partner with to to tack some shows onto those those trips and do a little bit of both while I've been over. So yeah, I feel like the last, <laughs> that's kind of the story, <laughs> the story of like the last few years of my life in some ways of like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, caring, caring very much about both of these things and uh, yeah, both of them being things that connect me, especially if you think about teaching some things that connect me to, to other people and loving, loving the reality of that and appreciating the chance to kind of like connect over these ideas and over, over music and uh yeah, I'm I'm kind of always trying to keep space in my life for both of those things. So we'll see how that plays out in the future, especially cuz I just moved to a new place and we're in a pandemic. So <laughs> <laughs> is the the discipline it takes to complete a dissertation similar to the discipline it takes to complete an album or are they quite different? <laughs> I think a I mean, I I can only say that from my experience. The the a dissertation feels like a pretty long long process you know in terms of like how much time it takes to actually be in the throes of the thing and working on it and editing it and revising it so I don't know I guess it depends on like how broad of a view you take on an album if you think of all the all the songwriting and home demoing and like revision and kind of bouncing ideas off of other people before you go into the studio you know maybe they're somewhat comparable but I don't know the uh I'd say maybe a dissertation is more akin to writing a book in terms of the flow of it. Do you think you've got a book in you? Could you write a book? <laughs> I'm not sure. I uh, I feel like I, I think I had a season in my life where I really enjoyed bouncing between, or so I guess balancing all of this stuff. And now I'm a little bit like stressed by the fact that I, I don't know, it's, I feel like I, I need to finish the dissertation and then like evaluate <laughs> the, next, <laughs> the next steps for my life. Like, I, I don't know. I think uh, for right now, like teaching and writing the dissertation and uh, putting this record out into the world, it comes out at the end of February and, you know, like getting to have conversations like this. And I, I want to do like a couple live stream shows and m- maybe some shows outside if I can make that happen in a safe way. But, you know, try, trying to figure out plans around the, the release um, that feels like enough for the for the time being. Maybe I'll maybe I'll write a book in twenty twenty two. So did you did you move home pre or post pandemic? Where were we at that point when you were 
moving. Yeah, it was right. It was a few months before, but it's it's been the flow of it has been kind of strange on top of an already very, very strange season because I we moved to South Carolina in the fall. I say we, my, my wife and I and our dogs uh, moved to South Carolina in the fall of 2019. And we bought a house here in South Carolina. Um, it's like a fairly affordable region in the U.S. And we got like a house that needed, we could afford it because it needed a ton of work. So <laughs> we didn't actually move into our house until like December. Um, so it was oh, like okay. four, or five, four or five months after we moved. And in that time, while we were living with friends here, that was when I went back to Seattle to record the record. And then it felt like kind of as soon as we moved in, it was like the pandemic news was breaking and cases were starting to emerge and stuff. So it it's it, there was some space there, but it feels pretty continuously strange and in between and transitional in in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> how how long had you been in Seattle for? We moved there in 2013. Yeah, so I guess like a little over six years, almost seven years. I was reading about how before you moved there you took a trip out to the Olympic Peninsula and that was kind of what made you realize that you wanted to go there? Was there a similar thing for coming back to South Carolina? I, I would say probably not. I feel like the the pull back to the Southeast was very much a pull from, from based on community and family. And um, my wife also, she delivers babies for her work. She's a midwife and uh, she got a got a job here. And that was, you know, that that kind of created the conditions in which the move felt possible. Yeah, once once we had like, the possibility of it, we sort of just, you know, we, we have a pretty deep community of friends around the, the Carolinas, North and South Carolina, and e- even in the city that we live and we have like friends and walking distance of our house and, you know, uh, and fa- a lot of family within a one to two hour drive. So it, it felt like a, a pullback kind of based on, on people and community and, um, on my, you know my wife my wife had the job consideration on my end with with music stuff and particularly uh touring whenever that comes back you know i i love to tour and i love to play shows and and doing that more regularly got me thinking a lot about what i wanted my like home base to to look like you know over yeah. for like a sustainable <laughs> situation over time and i love seattle and I, I there's so many people that i love there but it's it's a it's one of the more expensive places to live in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we, we lived in a pretty tiny one-bedroom apartment where all of my music gear, like, around every tour, I would, like, pack it in and out of, like, a basement storage area in this one closet in our apartment. And, you know, anytime I wanted to work on music stuff, it would be, like, unpacking that whole closet and packing <laughs> it up again. And, you know, that, that's one, like, silly example of it. But it felt like, in, in a lot of ways, the kind of quality and pace of life and community centeredness of it with the size of the city and kind of how we could live in proximity to community and and yeah family and everything that that all kind of blended together to make the move back to this direction feel, feel like the right call yeah it's funny that you mentioned the olympic peninsula though because like i miss a lot of things about seattle and the west coast in general like living there like and a lot of people from out there but man just thinking about the the olympic peninsula and the nature in that area kind of hurts my heart it feels like such a special place and it was such a luxury to be able to go out there go hiking and spend weekends camping and stuff and i kind of miss miss that a lot these days 
Yeah, in the pandemic, I miss a lot of things. So, <laughs> yeah. So, is South Carolina quite different, like landscape wise, to the kind of region you were in Seattle? For someone who's on the other side of the Atlantic and is a little bit yeah. ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, it is. It is for sure. I, I think just in general, the the West Coast in the U.S. is pretty grand. You know, like like living in Seattle is it's kind of an epic place to live, and like there are mountains in three directions or i guess mountain ranges in two directions and then a volcano to the south mount rainier and then uh water all around and it's like a very lush kind of rainforest climate so it, it rains a lot and is really gray but also everything's green and there's moss growing everywhere and it, it feels like a pretty i don't know kind of magical place in that way <clears throat> whereas in south carolina is uh it definitely has like the mountains and it has beaches um i kind of live in the middle of the state right in between those two things so i th I think like when i think of the landscape of um the place that i live in it's like rivers are kind of the uh there are a lot of rivers that come through the state um so they're definitely beautiful places to be outside and uh, there's a national park kind of right outside of the city that i live in that's like a big swamp that has a bunch of boardwalks to go through congaree national park is the name of it but um yeah, it's it's a little uh less grand I would say here and uh yeah, different different kind of beauty and different kind of way. In in a lot of ways it's more accessible and kind of easy to get into nature here than the the west coast I guess, but um yeah, it's 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 pretty different. A little more raw sounding maybe in terms of yeah. the kind of landscape, yeah. I think so. And a, a little more mundane, but like not in a negative way. Just the the beauty is a little more subtle and the mountains that are here are like only like two or three thousand feet instead of like fourteen thousand feet on the west coast you know like <laughs> like it's uh just because they're a lot older you know they've they've been worn down over time and that's uh yeah yeah the uh the landscape here is a little more or a little less dramatic i would say did moving back throw up any unexpected kind of internal questions what sort of discussions were you kind of having with yourself after you made the shift yeah i mean i feel like that's an impossible question to answer outside of the pandemic you know, I apologize. <laughs> you know like, no 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 I mean it's it's a great question but when I I in my own mind as I think about like what my life looks like right now and what I hope for I'll, a lot of especially when it comes to like being a working musician or being a touring musician it just feels like I, I guess the UK and the US are somewhat in similar positions I would imagine tell yeah. me tell me if you agree but like very much so you know like we have different parts of our population that like feel pretty differently about how to behave in this moment and the virus is a scientific process that doesn't really care what we do <laughs> so it keeps <laughs> keeps uh infecting people and i don't know it just it feels I, i'm hopeful for the vaccine and with a new administration now uh some more kind of coordination like and that maybe that means shows will come back soon but uh but yeah i i uh Moving back here has felt really good in a lot of ways. I think there are ways that I've been able to be at very much at peace about kind of living around community. I, th I think that's that's something that I've has always been a huge value for me and to have, especially during the pandemic, to have people that I can kind of, we can walk to each other's houses and hang out at a distance on our porches or from the street to s the sidewalk to the house or whatever. It's it's felt really uh, right and good in that way. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've especially kind of being near the end of my PhD and thinking about 
vocation and what I what I do with my days and my time, kind of the relationship between music and and that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, moving here was was a fairly decisive decision in that way, and uh, one that I kind of imagined would allow me to be on the road a little bit more. And yeah, that that has not taken. That's not the world has had uh, has not allowed for that in the conditions of this pandemic. So we'll see, kind of where things go from here. But we, we've also been in the, I mentioned we bought this really old house that needed a ton of work. We, we've just finished about a year straight of fairly nonstop construction and housework, which has meant that like, I don't really like how there have been people in the house a lot of the time that I've been trying to, because of the pandemic, like keep some distance from. And, uh, but also I've, I've been sort of managing that construction project and scheduling people and you know, trying to do whatever I can myself and learning a lot in the process. So I, I feel like the flow of my life has just been really weird. It's like, it's been strange to, cause, cause I, right before we moved here, I did like a five week Europe tour with Steve Gunn kind of all over Europe. And then we moved here and that was basically the last time I played a show in 2019 because I was recording in the fall and then the pandemic happened. So I did this really long, amazing tour and then we moved here. And then I've been like a construction project overseer for the past year and like teacher <laughs> online, I'm teaching online. So I, I, uh, it's, it's been really meaningful for the, to get into the flow of this record coming out now and to be able to kind of reactivate music in my life. It's something that like I'm spending my time doing and, um, cause I, I felt like, especially with that construction going on around the house, it wasn't uh, super conducive environment to be like picking up the guitar and kind of go, going into that record like writing or demoing mode so it's it's uh it feels really fulfilling to be getting back into music at this point what sort of stuff were you doing on the house personally when it came to the kind of construction side of it i did all the painting i mean basically all the like very low skill jobs <laughs> Like the, the jobs that uh, involve a lot of time and not a lot of skill. Um, yeah, painting and uh, I, I ordered all the materials, you know, so I, I was going to different like lumber supply places and ordering bricks and even like concrete trucks or, you know, like a few, there were a few, a few different kind of stages to the work we had done that I was kind of trying to to coordinate so it was kind of a mix of like project management and then like making sure everything was cleaned up and the supplies that needed to be here for the work that was going to happen were indeed here and uh through the various stages of the process that um I everything was done for the next one to begin essentially but then then once once all the work finished I I did all the kind of finishing stuff so like yeah, paint, painting is the biggest one that I feel like I just spent weeks doing that. But uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of kind of uh, low skill manual labor, essentially. Do you find your mind wandering when you're doing that sort of thing, like painting or whatever? <laughs> I kind of liked it. It was it was fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a great chance to like listen to music and podcasts, and yeah, let to indeed let let my mind wander. I kind of I kind of enjoyed it, honestly. And 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 like zooming out a little bit, I think there was a cool. I, I I can say this now in retrospect, there were definitely some weeks where I feel like I kind of lost touch with, <laughs> with who I was or something. But uh, the in retrospect, after kind of, I don't know, it's it's just been a weird year for us all and a difficult year for us all. And I think some collective, but also unique ways, you know, and I, I think my uh, 
my version of that was, you know, I shared some of the difficult parts just now, but the, the part of it that was kind of cool and that I'm really grateful for, especially in retrospect, is that there was a real futurity to that work. You know, like it, it felt like I, I've been able to spend a lot of this pandemic year working on a place that in theory, Megan and I could live for a long time, you know, and I, I created a little space in our basement where I, I've got my amps set up now my guitars and I've got a little space to kind of write and uh I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you now you know it's a uh, I've got that that's been cool to be able to kind of create a space that uh you know right now it's just like her and I and our dogs here but eventually we'll be able to host people and you know I've, I'll be able, one day have like band practices in this room that I'm sitting in it's nice to kind of be creating a space that uh you can imagine a post-pandemic joyful existence in, you know? Yeah, it kind of gives you more of a personal connection to the place pretty instantaneously as well, when you kind of put the physical work in yourself. Yeah, I think so, for sure. At what point did you plant the tree, which you, you referenced that in one of the songs as well, because it no one is missing that the tree gets referenced on? Oh, yeah, it's actually a Mockingbird. Mockingbird, apologies, yeah. <clears throat> no worries, yeah. Yeah, I think that was like, honestly, like basically the first thing I did. <laughs> before before anything else because it it all felt so huge and unmanageable and i've always like like yeah japanese maple trees are just my favorite tree i think they're so like beautiful and windy and spindly and kind of mysterious and meditative looking i i have always like had this idea that if like if i ever had a place of my own i would want to like with with a yard i'd want to plant one and uh yeah i think i did that and like a couple weeks after we moved here where I was just like, I'm going to go ahead and like plant this thing and let it start growing and uh, feel they like. They can go pretty feel... huge, can't they? It's the one I got was a, uh, it was a sort of miniature one. So I, because we planted it in front of a window. So I, I think it will. Don't want it going own... into the house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it'll only get like maybe uh, five or seven feet tall, but um, it'll get pretty wide you know, and have a lot of branches that kind of grow in on themselves and stuff. You, you know how they get kind of intricate like that. So yeah, it'll be fun to to watch it over time. But yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it's funny that you, you asked that. And after the discussion that we just had, because that was like literally the very first thing that I did. <laughs> <laughs> was that when you shot the, the Super 8 footage for the music video for Mockingbird as well? Was it kind of around a similar period when you first moved in or? It was, yeah. I'm trying to think about the timing of that. It it was a little bit later. Um, it uh, I had already made the record for sure because we were kind of like working with that song at that point. That that was, by the way, was the very last song that I wrote for the record too. I, I wrote that song in in South Carolina, and I think I think songs can mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people. But like for me personally, I think that song will always be a a, a pretty special time capsule of like what I felt like a couple weeks after arriving here. You know. The Super 8 footage for that music video was sometime early in the pandemic, like in, in 20, 2018, because I remember I got, or sorry, 2020, <laughs> in, uh, in early 2020, because um, I remember it was in that phase where like no one was sure if we should like see each other yet. It was all like pretty confusing what we should be doing around the pandemic. So I, I kind of reached, because I have a few shots of like friends around my neighborhood or neighbors in that. Um, but it was in the spring and it's it's so nice uh in this in the area that I live in the spring is like the best time of the year 
And um, so I, everyone was out on their porches kind of hanging out. So I just kind of like texted people. I was like, hey, if you like want to come out on your porch, I'm going to be walking around the neighborhood with this camera. So, <laughs> so yeah, I just, that, that was, uh, that, that video similarly to me is a, will kind of be a cool, represents a pretty, uh, unique timestamp in that early pandemic, like having settled in this neighborhood and in this new life and, and place. Uh, I, I wanted it to be a bit of a, a capsule of that, I guess. Yeah. It mirrors the song in that sense too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you get the dogs in the video too. How long have you had, <laughs> how long have you had dogs? Well, uh, one of them, Hazel, the older one is, uh, almost 11 now. So yeah, we like my, my wife and I like, I think, yeah, way before we even lived in Seattle, we adopted her. Yeah, we just got a second this year um, at the beginning of the pandemic. So, so for some reason, you know, when you're like a touring musician, you're always like thinking about life at home versus when you're traveling. And we've talked about getting a second dog for a while, especially as our like older one gets into her senior years because she's been such a good dog. We were like, maybe she can teach the puppy to be uh well behaved and also maybe the puppy can like help her stay young a little bit you know so we we were talking about that for a while but then I, I was just touring a pretty good bit over 2018 and 2019 and then with the pandemic it felt like kind of the right time with me being home uh and we're kind of working from home and everything to to take on the puppy commitment and uh yeah it threw me for a bit of a loop especially adopting a puppy amidst house construction i don't i don't know if i would recommend that to anyone but uh <laughs> but we got through it and uh yeah she's she's pretty fun she's wild though that's why i don't have her down here with me i tried to do an interview with the dogs in the room a couple of days ago and uh it just was just pure nuts. chaos it was chaos <laughs> i think because they're always just here with me and i'm usually not talking to myself like anytime i do online teaching or do like a call like this they just get so excited and rambunctious so yeah i have to keep them keep them put away for now <laughs> <laughs> have you have you always had dogs like did you have them as a kid and stuff growing up too i did yeah i think the only time in my life where i did not was when i was at university yeah it's it's definitely like how i will probably always live my life from this point <laughs> i think do you think it's uh think it's true what they say when you're a kid do they kind of teach you things about responsibility and stuff or is it all just a bit of fun i think that's probably true yeah i grow i'm just thinking about my growing up experience <laughs> when you said that because i was i had a really big family growing up i was the oldest of six kids and uh we had we had a dog but it basically i think my parents were like you know obviously had a lot going on with that many children and so the dog was very much like my uh responsibility i mean my parents definitely picked up the slack sometimes but uh they <laughs> they uh yeah i i definitely like even as like a seven eight nine ten year old kind of bonded with that dog and spent a lot of time with it so i'm sure i'm sure it there were a lot of lessons garnered there even at a, at a young age but yeah it's just a pretty special kind of companionship too you know i, I i'm someone who likes to spend a lot of time outside and go on long walks that's something that i do pretty much every day and uh yeah it just feels nice to kind of have a have a dog to share that that with and yeah it, it encourages me to to keep that as like a regular part of my life too you know 
feels mutually beneficial in that way. How long do you kind of tend to walk in a day? It's been a little different since we moved here just because, uh, yeah, every, every part of my life amidst the house construction and pandemic has, has shifted as I know that has for most people in the world, like the idea of going out into the places that we live and, you know, how, how to do that. But yeah, I, I probably, I, if I think about the last like seven or eight years of my life on average, especially in Seattle, I would probably walk like three, three-ish or maybe up to five miles a day, like go on pretty long walks in the, in the midday. And then like, that's always kind of been something like when Megan gets home from work that, that she and I do. And, uh, it's, it's nice where we live in, in Columbia now uh, in South Carolina, it's not a particularly like walkable or like well-designed city, (laughs) especially talking to a, uh, to someone in, in the UK or, you know, on the, in the European area, it's, it's, uh, it's not the same for sure. Seattle is a, is a very dense area and it was a super walkable city and had tons of parks. That's one of the things I really loved about living there, but we actually do the neighborhood that we live in here in uh in South Carolina does have like a lot of old trees and it's kind of a historic part of the city that is is pretty walkable so i'm always uh i'm grateful for that for sure try to take advantage of it is there like a dialect in south carolina as well is there like a slang to the area yeah i mean people definitely have a southern accent here i don't i feel like i kind of I don't know if I have one. You can tell me, but uh, yeah, I mean, people say y'all, you know, instead of you guys or whatever. That that's one of the biggest <laughs> distinguishers, I guess. But yeah, it's 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 a pretty. It's definitely in that part of the United States where people talk a little slower, have a little bit of a drawl or something. I don't know. It's 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 it has has that for most most of the people that live here. I think. Do you think the in a kind of broader sense, the language that you're surrounded by growing up, does that kind of inform your songwriting and your creative voice in any way? I definitely think so. Yeah, I, I, I had a few bandmates or friends in, uh, in Seattle who would always say, like, the only time I can tell you're from the South is when you sing and the, like, language you use in your songs. I mean, I, I think that, I think the worlds that we grow up within, you know, shape us in so many ways. And uh, I, I think about that a few different ways, like, de- definitely in terms of, like if I sing with any kind of like slang or dialect, but, uh, also, I mean, just the imagery, it's, it's funny. Like I, I grew up in a pretty, uh, conservative, uh, religious, uh, evangelical, I guess would be the, the correct term kind of environment in the, in the States, which that's, you know, well, I won't get into that, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I was going to say that's, that's become a more prominent, uh, like feature of American life and voting base and everything in the last yeah. few years, especially, but, um, which, you know, I feel very far from all of that basically, or most of that. Yeah. All of that. But the, uh, it's funny how, even when I go to write a song, like things that I remember from like going to church as a kid, like imagery from that, you know, comes to mind or like, like in, in evocative ways, you know, I, it, it's the, the, experience of growing up in a fairly small town with like a big family and in South Carolina definitely in that kind of climate I feel like when I go to write songs and I'm kind of summoning imagery or metaphors or like you know if if I could identify like a positive aspect of that upbringing it was that it definitely encouraged 
engagement with mystery and with big questions. I mean, some of that was like definitely fear-based and that is not a good thing, (laughs) but I I think at some level it did like activate my mind towards mysteries of existence and kind of big questions around that. And that's, that's certainly, uh, I would say if I think about what I, what happens when I start to write a song, I, I go there pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. I mean, you do seem to ask, I mean, quite often you do seem to ask questions in your music. Do you, do you feel like you kind of need closure on music or are you quite happy for it to be open-ended sometimes and just be asking things without really answers and more just pondering? Yeah, I, I think the latter. It's a great question. I, I think that songwriting for me, I mean, pe- people would probably, uh, different people might have very different opinions about that, which I think would be, uh, is really valuable. But um, for, for me, in my experience of songwriting, I I have never gravitated towards songs that like try to teach me lessons i mean there's definitely like a tradition of like protest music that i think is really cool and am inspired by for sure but um i i grew up part part of that upbringing i referenced a little while ago was like being uh in my earliest years as like a music listener uh pretty like siloed in the uh contemporary christian music uh environment which feels like you know not to be like mean or anything but yeah the the song's are very much like didactic often like they have a they have a clear message and sort of a, an agenda upon you often are they share they assume a shared kind of sensibility among the listeners and that's that's something that I feel like as I have aged and started to write my own songs and then yeah just started to write more consciously over time I've really uh, valued the exact opposite. <laughs> I really value the ability for songs and songwriting to allow us to enter into um, mysteries and to enter into big questions without the need to produce an answer. I feel like we have so few spaces like that in our life often, you know. I, I feel fortunate enough to be able to write music that some people like to listen to you and come to shows and you know I have like a chance to kind of like put these songs into the world and then people pick them up and there's a chance you know to see how to see how they travel and to travel myself around with these songs and play them in different places so I feel like songs for me are like a very mysterious open-ended thing and that's that's not to say that songs can't have a, a specific point or a specific reference in them I, I and if I think about a lot of the songs on the new record I I reference some pretty specific moments in them and specific memories I have or specific things that have happened but then I, I think like songs offer us an ability to kind of juxtapose the particular and the general or the known and the unknown and uh yeah to kind of like I said like engage some of the mysteries of what it means to be like alive and for me particularly what it means to be alive in relation to other people I think that's something on this record that I'm wrestling with a lot in light of the last few years of our country and yeah thinking about my life and this move recently and everything I think this this record engages a lot of the questions like like you asked earlier about how how I'm kind of feeling about being here and what questions the the move has raised I feel like the record uh is definitely a good representation of that, you know? What you're saying there is, well, that idea of, you know, connecting with people over these things and having a conversation with them. Is that what you quite often, I mean, I think pretty much in every song have the two kind of voices harmonizing. Is that kind of a direct, supposed to be like a direct representation of that kind of going along uh, the spine of the record? 
That's, that's a cool thought. <laughs> that's not a connection that I've consciously made, but I, I love the idea of that. That's, that's, that's a really beautiful thought. I, uh, yeah, Amy, Amy Godwin is the, the vocalist on the record and she's, we've done several records together. Yeah. She, she's probably, she's been my closest collaborator over time. And as a dear friend, um, she lives in Portland, Oregon now, um, and is a choir teacher there. So we, we don't get to play shows too often together, but, um, I definitely feel like being able to sing with her and record with her is a pretty foundational, I don't know, it's, 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 it's really important for me as a musician and has, has been really important to the history and continuation of this project. That Valley Maker for me is, is very much a kind of big tent of collaborators. It, it's an avenue for, for my songwriting, I guess, first and foremost, or most foundationally, but then I, I have, I feel really, you know, grateful to have a, group of collaborators around around uh on both both coast west and east coast like kind of around the country that i've been able to tour with and record with and um yeah amy is is a huge part of that so i I think yeah i i like that idea that you put forward that kind of is like a representation of of what songs do and what the what the, the music kind of yeah the the mystery of this thing that we're doing of like writing and recording music and then putting it out into the world and that you know it enters different people's lives and that's a beautiful thing did you have people dropping in and out of the recording process quite frequently then was it kind of like a a changing were people coming quite a lot or was it a set group of you there for most of it it was yeah there was uh some dropping in and out but it there was definitely like a plan around it in terms of uh yeah in terms of how we approached the session and i guess i say session in the singular because I just kind of was there at the studio for about a month straight, which th- this is the first time that I've, that I've made a record like that. Um, was it an old barn? Was it kind of converted? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, uh, my friend Trevor Spencer, who, uh, we've done a few records together now and he, he's one of my best friends in the world. We decided for this record to try to do something different because he's been working on this space for o- over a few years and finally kind of has gotten it completed in the last uh, couple of years, it's a former horse barn uh, in the kind of woods outside of Seattle that he's he's converted into a studio, and it has a uh, the loft of the of the barn is like a little place to stay. It has there's a little bed up there and apartment, and uh, so I just stayed out there the whole time. So basically, the day to day was Trevor and I uh, working on the record, and Amy was there for a lot of the time, and even before we started recording. Uh, Trevor and Amy and I worked on a lot of the arrangements and vocal parts and general kind of terrain of the songs. But then, yeah, for the for the weeks of of recording where I was in the studio, we definitely had um, several people coming in and out, kind of around uh, how we wanted the songs to take shape. And uh, probably the, the a few that immediately come to mind are, are Chris Acasiano, who's who's a amazing drummer, uh, kind of in jazz jazz circles in Seattle. He's I've been in awe of his playing for many years and feel so uh, grateful that he wanted to be a part of the record. So yeah, he, he did all the drums and percussion. Morgan Henderson uh, did a lot of the, uh, all, all of the woodwinds, kind of clarinet, bass clarinet, flute stuff on the record, which that's the first time I've ever um, had that on a recording. So that was really fun to to have him in. Amy was in for several sessions with her, all of her vocal stuff. So yeah, it definitely had... Um, had a kind of intermittently collaborative feel on top of the kind of ongoing collaboration between Trevor and I. Are you thinking about the songs like as a full band arrangement when you're writing them acoustically or is that something you have to wait until you're in that space collaborating with other people to focus on? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. For this record in particular, it's an interesting one because I, if I think about my last record, Rhododendron, that I did in 2018, I, re- I wrote that record um, before, like, I guess in a time when I knew I was going to be playing a lot of shows and touring, and I kind of wrote that record as a band record in a lot of ways, at least most of the songs on it. And then maybe for this one, I I felt like I swaying back a little bit more towards my typical typical way of doing things which is I, I always like the idea of like doing a recording that could be boiled down like so if you think about a live performance of the recording it could con- be conveyed with just a guitar and a vocal like ha- that it would have like a simplicity to it as, at the level of songwriting and performance that could be conveyed that way but then uh the the chance to be in a studio and collaborate with other people is a chance to make that recording really dynamic to kind of blossom on top of that, you know? Um, so I, I think that's, that was something that was very much how we approached these songs to kind of get the, get good performances and great, good sounds uh, for the kind of core tracking stuff. And then just continually ask the question of what else it needs or what else, like where it could go from there and then bring people in who could help us to kind of, to actualize that with who they are as as people and as players um that 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 was kind of the the approach for this record and i i I have to say i'm really happy and proud of how it turned out it's i think it's my favorite record i've done from from a songwriting and and production standpoint um that that's probably an amalgam of a lot of different things but uh i think part of it was just the ability to be in the studio for that length of time and to have have the luxury of of time with different people to kind of allow the songs to grow from that initial kind of point of the core of the song, you know? Yeah. And just kind of get that space to breathe in a collaborative and creative environment as well. Like you're saying, you know, being in the studio for a month. Yeah, exactly. To kind of get the basis of something down, give it a day or two, go on a long walk in the morning and then come back to it and like, you know, approach it with a fresh mind. I, you know, recording is expensive and often logistically complicated. And especially because, like I said, a lot of the people that I play and record with live live in different areas. So in the past, sometimes it uh, it hasn't ever felt like rushed, but there's there's just a, a kind of feeling of like, OK, we have like a few days to get this stuff done. And let's like, you know, right, this this record, it was really nice to uh, intentionally approach it with uh, like with simplicity, but also the luxury of time and a continuous space um to try to create the rec- the record to try to create something that feels cohesive and very like environmental in a continuous way you know yeah that that kind of process you were speaking about there was that how did that function in the context of a song like aberration because that kind of ties into what you're saying about a song that at its core has something really simple but i mean if you think about the beginning of that song in particular you really get the sense of the soundscape almost like broadening out and kind of stretching out into like across an environment if that yeah, makes sense it does yeah for sure that uh i'm really happy with how that song turned out production wise it has a real kind of expansive almost like eeriness to it um yeah that that song in particular i i mentioned that tour across europe that i'd done with steve gunn kind of right before going moving to the south and going into the studio that that was one of the songs that I was trying out a lot on that on that tour so I had a pretty good sense of what it felt like as a solo performance and had uh you know played it in different venues a bunch of times and uh felt really excited about it as a track on the record um 
and then yeah in the studio i think particularly um figuring out the groove for it that that's one of the ones on the record like i was listening a lot to uh desire by bob dylan around this uh season of like recording and i feel like that song was one of the ones like groove wise that i was kind of trying to lean into that like loose loose kind of jolting almost groove uh with in relation to the guitar part and uh amy's vocal stuff and morgan's woodwind parts on that both uh both add a a real uh extra dimension to that kind of environment so yeah that one was super fun to to come together and i feel like once we had that sort of like groove established in a general terrain of like even just after recording the guitar part it already had that kind of environment around it so we just tried to keep leaning into that more and more with with amy's vocals and the the woodwind treatments were you listening to that dylan record in the studio or just before you went in i think i mean you know like trevor and i when we when we were making records we're always kind of like when we made records before we were, were always sort of talking about influences or you know what i've been listening to or what how like you know that's i think that's very much a a cool part of recording and especially someone like Trevor where he and I have a real shared kind of sensibility around music and stuff that we love across like a few different genres I guess and yeah that that's that was definitely one of the one of the records of of many that we kind of had talked about you know um I think particularly the song Sarah on that record is just is one of my favorite songs ever and uh I, I love the way it feels it just is like a perfect feeling song for me and uh the uh the thinking about aberration i know that was like one of the songs that we kind of like referenced of like it would be cool to kind of like you know in the early probably before before even going into the studio like in the kind of initial planning stuff that that was a lot of what like amy and trevor and i did on the the front end of tracking especially is just kind of sitting around and you know in a living room and basically doing my favorite thing in the world just like sharing songs with each other and kind of making plans for for recording and kind of imagining beginning to imagine the world of the record and yeah that was that that record was certainly a a reference point in those conversations who is the first person that you play a completed song to you know when you finished it in that simplest form where it's written acoustically or whatever (laughs) that's a good question um it's usually my wife yeah yeah probably nine times out of ten and it's not always immediate i feel like i kind of sometimes i write a song and it just feels done or feels very close and then i feel like i often have things that feel like works in progress so i'm I'm excited now especially to have a little bit of space dedicated to music just to kind of keep um, some recording stuff up because i always try to demo as i as i write so i can come back and revisit ideas but um usually the first person I would share it with would be would be her and uh we've uh spent a lot of years together and she uh has like you know a pretty good sense of like my songwriting journey over time and how stuff has worked in the past or not so I, I feel like I really value her her ear and perspective and then uh yeah Amy, Amy who uh sings on the record is someone who I Amy and Trevor both uh would would be in that kind of group of people and my friend Nate Poole, uh, who's a writer and creative writing professor, used to be in my band years ago, um, is a, is another person that I uh, will frequently kind of send stuff to and get his thoughts on it. Yeah, what just I guess what I, what I'm super grateful for about how music has 
continued to be a part of my life and the community of Valley Maker as a project. I, I feel like there there are these people that I've just shared a lot of years and recording sessions and tours with that like uh you know we we have a musical collaboration but we also have like really deep friendships and a lot of trust and it, it's cool to be able to to feel like I can share share that stuff with, with them so it's interesting as well that you were saying that your wife has a really good sense you know of your kind of songwriting journey over the last few years because when you think about this record in relation to the last couple does does each album for you feel like a stepping stone from one to the next or do you does it feel like each time it's you know a completely new blank slate and you're kind of approaching it yeah i think that there are commonalities for sure i i always like the i like kind of cross-referencing certain lyrics or certain moments from previous previous records and new ones um but yeah i i think in terms of my songwriting i'm always trying to like obviously there's a time and place for like being strategic and being a planner and uh getting the logistics of like releases together and stuff but i i feel like in my songwriting or at, at that level where i'm just kind of like by myself with the guitar i i try really hard not to be too in my head about that kind of stuff i, I feel like i just am always wanting to be more of a person that shows up for the process of songwriting you know on a regular basis and uh continues to collect a catalog of of songs and then you know when when it makes sense to make a new record and the stars align with people and you know all all the things that it takes to do that um you know to pull from that catalog in a way that feels feels can feels uh cohesive you know um that that's sort of the flow that i'm i've been getting more and more into and that i'm I'm really enjoying i mean one, one example from that is that the the song Pine Trees on this record was a song I wrote, I think, like, right when I moved to Seattle, like, maybe six, seven years ago. And it was one that I had just never quite known what to do with. And uh, I actually was not really planning to put it on this record, or it was, like, a pretty distant B-side. And then uh just was playing it one day when Chris was in the studio, the drummer, and uh, we kind of locked in on that groove and it just felt so good it like immediately changed the song <laughs> for me and my relationship to it and now it's like you know it it became one that I wanted to put pretty early on the record you know and uh I, I enjoy like I guess a balance of intentionality and being open to possibility in terms of like writing and assembling those recordings those writings for for recordings it's interesting that that one was written a few years ago when you were still in Seattle because when I listened to it it almost has the sense of trying to escape kind of from a narrative point of view. Do you think that was something mm. that was coming from the fact that now that you've left Seattle, was that something that was kind of permeating around your mind at that time? Yeah. I mean, I think that song in some ways is about <laughs> kind of about my relationship to the South and this, this area. And if I think about kind of where I was at in the time that I wrote it, having just kind of left this area. Yeah. I, this is cool. You're uh, making me uh, realize all these connections with the record. I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that uh, that's that's uh, really neat to to make that connection. I think that would definitely be quite possible that that was like in the background, kind of feeling like it made sense. Because yeah, it w- it was a song that I never. So, sometimes I'll just like let a song go and not really think about it again. But that was one that always kind of kept coming up when I would play through stuff I'd written and I was thinking about the recording but I think that uh in my mind it was always going to be like a pretty quiet somber like finger picking 
uh, song. And then hearing it in relation to that drum part just immediately like kind of awakened me to the potential of it, I guess. And uh, I think I always like the lyric part had always kind of felt good to me, but then like the way that it took shape in the studio finally made it feel right, I guess. It's funny how these things happen where they kind of like that song wouldn't like that connection we were speaking about there wouldn't have happened had that come out on the previous record. It's only because it's been put in with this set of songs that it's kind of aligned in that way. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. almost something, sub, you wonder if it's something subconscious going on. Or... Absolutely. Yeah. That with this set of songs at this moment, transitional moment in my life with, uh, with Chris in the studio, with me deciding to just like play that, that part that day, you know, there's, there's a, I think that's, what's like pretty magical about, about making music with other people and uh yeah again having that space and time in the studio for for those things to kind of be actualized instead of just having like a really kind of clear plan for every day a to z you know that that's that's uh will always be like a pretty beautiful memory for me of of recording and uh yeah the song is now like a product of that it's an interesting time to write a record as well when you're at the end of one period in your life but the beginning of another do you think making music makes you think more about the past or the future in that sense? I do. Yeah. I think particularly the way, the way that I tend to approach songwriting and I guess the themes that are compelling for me, I, I think a lot about time and some, sometimes I get like self-conscious, like are all my songs about time? I feel like I say that word like way too much in my, uh, in my songs, but yeah, I, I think um, very much so it's, it's, and that's that's cool. I, I, earlier, I sort of mentioned that I think songs allow you to think about the the specific moments in our lives in relation to like big questions. But I, I think that's also true for for temporality. I think it, uh, you know, and, and I think this is true in life that we can't really like know where we're going uh, at a personal or societal level until we like reckon with you know where we're from and where we've been and that that's something that i've tried to take seriously in my development as a human being and i guess songwriting is a feels like a generative outlet for that in a way to uh, again do that that feel do, do like engage those questions in a way that feels open to mystery and to possibility and uh that doesn't need to be answered definitively you know how does it impact your sense of control over these things, you know, putting them in a creative environment and tackling them in that space. Oh yeah. I, I don't feel any control <laughs> every time. I don't, I don't think anyone yeah, does. I, know, it's, I don't mean to sound dark or anything, but it just, I just think that um, I, I personally have been way more at peace when I let go of trying to control the timeline of my life. I feel like there's saying the word timeline. There's a song instrument on the record that even, like very much like speaks to that that issue in and of itself of like it's so like seductive to and like i don't know tempting i guess to feel like we should be at a certain point and to be comparative in our lives uh whether it's as a musician or like as a an adult or as a worker or what whatever you know i i just feel like there's not a lot of joy in that i feel i w- i want to be open to multiple futures and uh trying to be present in the moment too and and music has always felt like a chance for me to uh to do that to write a song to kind of capture capture the um, amalgam of these things in my brain in a particular moment 
then it's not contained within that, right? You do the, you, like I said, make the recording and then you put the song out into the world. And maybe this is too academic, but I really am into like relation, relationality. I feel like we all are, we can only make sense of ourselves in relation to you, like other people in our, our past. And I think music is something where I, I very much try to, to engage that. Do you, you mean in the sense that our worldview is constricted by our experiences? And the fact that we all have a, you know, we were speaking earlier about the kind of slang and stuff from South Carolina. We all come from a very specific place in the world, and there's a lot of positives and negatives to that. Yeah, yeah, I think it, that's it, it is constricted, but it's also there's a beauty in it being so individual. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like the, uh, the, I mean that I guess in relation to the places that we're from, the places that we live, um, the the people that come in and out of our lives, you know. Uh, and the like social socio uh social and political and economic kind of climates that we live within um i think we are you know we like definitely have have agency to act within those things but i also feel like um you know i guess songwriting is a space for me that kind of helps me think about who i am as a human being in in relation to uh definitely the past definitely in relation to location uh and to try to calm some of those anxieties about the future by being present and yeah right writing writing the music and trying to trying to engage the questions that way it's this idea as well of framing our individual things in a slightly broader context as well i guess like if you look at something like no one is missing you kind of have the thing going on where you're drawing comparisons between the personal and the i guess the migration crisis over in Europe when you were back in 2015-2016 yeah yeah for sure there's a yeah that song it has that reference to uh like the border checkpoints that that actually came from a earlier 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 kind of memory in my life of being in California and going out to visit visit this like art project or outsider art project in the desert called Salvation Mountain and uh kind of on the trip there which is a place i've always wanted to visit and it was like weird i was there with my wife and amy actually and her partner drew yeah it was like a really joyful and beautiful day but and in route to and from the art exhibit i guess or the the space where that where that uh work is located we went through like numerous border checkpoints where like you know as part of the u.s is like draconian immigration regime we like have these officers out like trying to apprehend people and it felt like such a ugly and kind of heavy thing to me that interrupted that process and sort of checked me in with like the privilege that I have and just being being a citizen and you know the many ways that that brings like comfort into my life but yeah yeah I think that uh that song in general no one is missing has felt it's a funny one to have released in the past few weeks with everything that's happened in the country because I feel like I kind of wrote that song at some level about like the tension that exists in like American life and particularly being like well relatively well positioned in American life as as I am and the the realities of um I don't know all of the anger that people feel uh in this moment and it's not just in this moment there are like deep historical roots of it but uh kind of like what what it means to be in a society such that we're in at the moment i, I think that song that that's one of the things that that song is kind of grappling with along with you know some more personal things for me around 
traveling and community and leaving home a lot and you know like missing people you know there, there's an element to which the the song's quite literal in that way i guess but i mean when you listen back to it now do you lose sight of where each line fits in contextually whether it be you know a personal line or one of the more political because the joy of listening to it is that i don't know what was written about a personal thing and what was written about a political thing and they kind of become both mm, yeah if you know oh, yeah I mean. for sure yeah, that's cool. I, I think that's that's right on. I mean, I, I wouldn't try to draw like a too much of a distinction between those things, even in the course of, you know, ev- everyday life. I think like many of the decisions we make are, are political and, you know, much of everyday life is, is political. But um, yeah, I'm always figuring out what my songs mean. Honestly, I, I, <laughs> I think that uh, there's there's like a terrain of meaning that when I start like working on a song, I'm definitely like working through and in my head and sometimes i'm figuring that out as i go along i don't know sometimes i'll be on tour and play something and i'll be like i actually think i wrote the song about this and i'm just realizing it you know i I try to write in a way like that that uh the songs can even even evolve over time you know in terms of of uh what they mean to me or to other people to to keep it's it's sort of a, a challenge i guess and maybe this is a recurring theme of this conversation but to sort of balance the uh the specific things I want a song to convey or to capture or, you know, reflect with, with the sort of, uh, openness to, uh, mysteries or big questions or, or things that, uh, I know I'll be like sitting with for many years into the future and how I feel about them or what my relationship to them will be changing and evolving over time. So I I think, uh, yeah, no, no one is missing, for example, would be a song where there's, uh, definitely a lot of back and forth between those two two poles if that makes sense yeah i think it makes the songs such as like is it um voice inside the well you know when you're speaking about kind of i guess gun control and what happened in las vegas and it's probably the most oh, right. it's probably the most direct song on the record in that sense kind of completely wears its political heart on its sleeve and it makes something like that stand out in sharper context when it's it's probably the only song on the record that doesn't really have that element of back and forth sure but. yeah yeah at least for that initial initial verse yeah it's pretty pretty literal in that way which the start, yeah, yeah yeah which kind of ties in again to like the the reality of the country i live in and how uh <laughs> how i don't often know what to do with that you know so is it different approaching a song when that mystery is stripped out of it for say the first verse um or just approaching that verse specifically, maybe. Yeah, that song, that's one of those songs, honestly, I mentioned this earlier, sometimes songs come to me pretty quickly. Sometimes they're more of like a labor of love over time. That song happened really quickly. And it's kind of a funny story. When I turned 30 years old, uh, my wife got me this like uh, 1960s Martin acoustic, which is like the, basically the nicest thing anyone has ever done for me. And I was so ecstatic about it. And uh, the next the next day... um while she was at work, I was just like playing it. And, uh, that the riff of that song came to me. And I honestly wrote that song, like in, in the span of an hour or two, you know? So I I think like, that's probably like related somewhat, somewhat to how you, how you, how you said it feels like one of the more direct ones or succinct in, in what it's doing and saying, um, yeah, that, that kind of, it came together pretty quickly in that way and probably conveys, 
conveys a headspace and was written a few years ago, like a little closer to that that event as well. Almost more of a stream of yeah, consciousness. Exactly. I think it does have like a stream of stream of consciousness element to it, for sure. It's interesting that it's followed is it on a revelation comes after it as well. It does. Yep. 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 When was the or what was the last revelation you had that kind of profoundly altered your view on something? Well, um I mean I, I think this <laughs> this is maybe like a cheap answer to your question, but I really do think that the pandemic has been a continual revelation <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um yeah. and and one that doesn't feel like it's done quite yet. But uh yeah, I, I think just like on on that theme I hit on earlier of how much our lives are all like interconnected and the well being of like any of us is like intermeshed with the well being of others. You know, I think that's that's been something that has felt really true in this year, but also just how um you know, moving to South Carolina and thinking that I was gonna be like touring a lot and sort of stepping more into that life a little more singularly and that and then the pandemic happening uh I I feel like it has just been a lesson or a revelation you could say in like how how uh little we can control you know and how we have to like find peace with that and find ways to be content and joyful even in kind of adverse or unexpected situations there was a moment too which that's that song references um on the way the way out here to South Carolina I played some shows on the way back and I had a concert in Minneapolis as part of that um tour and I was already at the venue but my my wife was um at a hotel and was coming a little bit later and she took like a Uber or Lyft uh to get to the venue and on the way there like got in a pretty uh scary car accident that was like a few blocks from the venue <laughs> and uh I like she called me like you know totally upset and crying I could hardly understand it and she told me like she like sent me her location and like I basically ran out of the venue like to there and uh that 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 sort of I think in the context of that song and having written that song that that was probably the the latest one that I referenced I think in later in the song maybe the second or third verse like a moment of just kind of like feeling like your life is one thing and then realizing that it could change so faster like what you what you know and hold dear could leave you, you know, I think that that song is, uh, that that's one of the, the moments in that song that I brings, brings that brings to mind a memory in the relatively distant and not too distant future past. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with that said though, and we've spoken about it a few times, the idea of this lack of control that we have over everything, there does seem to be like a real sense of gratitude about the album. And I kind of hope that comes from that. Yeah. Thank you. I, I I hoped that would be the case <laughs> to use the same word. Sorry. But, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I feel that in my life, you know, I have always, even on the darkest days, I feel like I try to see myself as someone who loves other people and is, is loved by other people. And that that is like a thread that like ties me to existence and being alive in a really meaningful way you know and uh and yeah this the idea uh, like all the uncertainty around this move and coming back and what it meant for for life and you know leaving friends that I love and coming back to this place that I grew up and for all of that like I I have a home and I like you know I get to share that home with like someone that I love and you know there there are 
very real reasons in my life to be to be grateful and to be like you know I don't know if hopeful for the future is the right word that feels like a strange thing to say right now but at least like to to want to carry on and to desire to carry on with other people and uh, to try to do that as well as we possibly can I, I think that's that's something that uh you know I, I'm I'm pretty committed you know at, at what point <laughs> at any point that I feel like they're the record, the songs that I play are like how I exist in the world. I, ho- I hope that that is, is uh, a part of that and, and is, is real in that. Um, so thank, thank you for, for recognizing that about the record. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.